Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Real to Real podcast. I'm Jonathan Myers. And I'm Gary Myers. And today we will be talking about a much more known film overall. Not to say the other two weren't. It's just this is widely considered a cinematic classic. So we are definitely far from the first to approach this film and analyze it. But it is 2001 Space Odyssey. Yeah, so Stanley Kubrick directed the film in 1968, and he projected 33 years in the future to 2001 and imagined a world uh, ruled by machines, and and uh, we'll get there. But uh, uh, so it's interesting. Jonathan was born in 2000, so uh, yeah, the, this uh, projected ahead to the time of Jonathan's. Uh, early life and uh, this a lot of that did, stuff did not happen in a lot of it didn't happen <laughs> but we're now seeing some of the things uh, getting yeah so, we're um, actually getting there now yeah. so <laughs> but, uh, it's a 55 year old film and it doesn't feel like it it's older than I am but it looks better than I do in some ways <laughs> just joking but uh, no it looks uh, it looks uh, fresher. Uh, looks newer than it is. It's visually stunning. And uh, it's interesting that uh, Kubrick, you know, he didn't even make it. He didn't even live till 2001. He died in 1999. So it runs two hours and 19 minutes. And the first couple of times you watch it, it feels longer. Um, you know, I've watched it, I don't know, five to seven times. I'm not sure how many times, but... It has a interesting uh, use of dialogue. There are 88 minutes of the film that include no dialogue. And so it feels like it. That pacing makes it tough. But but um, anyway, it's a it's an interesting movie that really set the tone for sci-fi. And um, yeah, arguably maybe the most influential sci-fi movie right. ever. Like most people will credit that to Star Wars, but honestly, this came out before Star Wars. And also some of the shots like very, very clearly inspired some of the very iconic shots in Star Wars as well. It's just like this, this film particularly just like shaped the way that space was portrayed in film. Right. He, he used techniques that really captured the weightlessness and the slow pans. And uh, you see that bleed over into Star Wars. And there's a lot of the slow panning. Yeah. Uh, especially, you know, the slow pan of the of the ship that gradually, unf- you know, comes in front of the screen. Anyway, set the tone there. Uh, one of the interesting things about this is the use of music. Um, yeah, absolutely. It's so tied to Thus Spoke. Zarathustra, the opening, the opening music. It also used other classical songs like Blue Danube for uh, key scenes, and so uh, classical music is is really deeply ingrained in this movie. But especially Strauss's "Thus Spoke Zarathustra," it's just very tied to the movie. Uh, you know, you think of other iconic themes that are tied uh, to movies. Jaws. You were saying. As we were talking about this, you brought up another movie that's so closely tied to music. Yeah, so this is kind of like the effect that the Strauss song has had related to 2001 
is kind of like the exact same effect that like hooked on a feeling has had compared to guardians of the galaxy like that song in particular some of the others as well but that one in particular is now like inseparably tied to that movie uh they, these songs were not made for these movies but they were repurposed for the films and now they are like cultural landmarks if you play the Strauss song, like for the longest time, I didn't even think that that was like a classical theme that was separate from 2001. I thought that was just straight up like the score for 2001. But this film really doesn't have much use of a score whenever the black monolith shows up. That's about it. Rest of it's just like repurposed classical music. And didn't you say there was actually a plan to do something different? Yeah, they, they had planned to use a, a more traditional scoring, um, but they decide, they opted for uh, the classical music instead, and it really worked. Uh, I think I think the other would have been possibly been a mistake. Uh, yeah. so. I mean, especially considering like what made it in. I mean, it's good for those scenes, but it's just like, I wonder if that was the vision for the rest of the score. Because that would have gotten old. It ha- it's effective how it's used right. with the monoliths. But I could see that if that was the whole score, that would be really annoying. It's kind of interesting. You know, they anticipated this commercial space travel. Pan Am Airlines that's, uh, you know, taking people to space. Well, yeah. you know, Pan Am is gone. Uh, but now we're edging closer to, you know, the more commercial space travel yeah. uh, through, you know, SpaceX and and uh, some of these things. I mean, we're still a ways off, but it, we see some of that. And the biggest piece of this uh, equation is artificial intelligence. And we'll get to that <laughs> later. And so, uh, yeah, in 2001, we were nowhere near the artificial <laughs> intelligence space that we're in now. It's and getting so, a little scary. <laughs> yeah. So we'll get to that. Uh, I, I think you wanted to share a little bit about the overall structure of the, of the film. Yeah. It's got a very interesting structure. It's not really a three act structure. So there's a prologue. All right. And this is supposed to be early earth. There's a bunch of monkeys. They're not doing very well against another monkey tribe, all right? But they see the black monolith, and they're, like, hopping around it. But then the next day, one of the monkeys decides to use a bone as a tool, and then that's where we see the whole movie is an analogy of humans' relationship with technology. And... This is this is supposed to be seen as like the first time a weapon was created, mm-hmm. you know, and eventually one of one of the monkeys kills a rival monkey with the bone. Right. And that's when we transition. So this is where we we see like the Pan Am thing that you were mentioning. Mm-hmm. And. They are, there's supposedly some sort of epidemic at a lunar base, but, and this is tied to the monolith, so the monolith appears again. Now, I'm going to be honest, you're going to forget about this monolith. 
after this scene, you're you're gonna forget about it, and then it appears again, and you're like, oh, oh yeah, that thing. <laughs> so it's not it's not forgotten. It's just that they they make you forget it because it it does not come back for a while. But anyway, after that short segment, I don't really have too much to say about that one. It's still it's just to show like how much technology how far technology has gone at this point and this is when we get to the titular space odyssey this is where we have a little crew on their ship and they've got a little ai program on their ship this ai happens to be one of the most iconic villains in cinematic history it's how 9000 and this guy is He's something else. There's like one of the first scenes he's in. He's like actually doing an interview with a news station. <laughs> and they're even noticing like, did you hear the way he said that? It sounded like he was prideful. And this is where you start to realize this thing is getting very self-aware very quick. So do you do you have anywhere to take it from there? Yeah, so um yeah, so they have this issue on the lunar base and they've sent uh Dr. Haywood Floyd up there to uh this is where the Pan Am flight. He goes to this base and and he's being very secretive about it, but they're planning a mission to send people to deal with this and and that's uh uh, Dave Bowman, Frank Poole are the astronauts, or they're a couple of the astronauts that are sent, and they're put yeah. into suspended animation, uh, all the rest of the, yeah, and then they're sent into uh, space on the Discovery One trying to reach Jupiter uh, to deal with this. So all the rest of it is sort of set up for this. Yeah, uh, this is the main plot, and the main plot does not kick in until like. Like I said, 40 to 50 minutes. But the rest of the movie follows specifically Dave. But, you know, also the crew for most of it. Yeah, so in that, you mentioned the the TV report. And the TV reporter says that it's supposed to reproduce or mimic a human brain's function, though much faster... Uh, <laughs> or w- much faster with greater speed and reliability. And they harp on reliability that no how machine has ever failed in any way they've it's been it's been uh you know sparkling record of these how machines um when a but, movie says something like that you know something's about to go down yeah like yeah. that's just that's just a telling sign that yeah this thing's gonna fail <laughs> And so then the plot really turns on this uh, report that uh, HAL 9000 says this uh, AE-35 unit, they talk about the AE-35 unit all the time, and that it's going to fail. And so um, this sets up a spacewalk. So uh, Dave you know, gets on his suit, and there's one of the most iconic shots of the film of him walking through this tunnel and this... Uh, red orange suit and uh, just a great shot. And then he goes out and he there's it's very suspenseful of him going out there and and getting to the 
unit and pulling it out and they come back and and there's nothing wrong with the unit it's not doesn't look like it's gonna fail hmm suspicious right and so uh they begin to think something is up you know so uh so they decide well maybe we should go put it back and see if it's going to fail but before they do this they kind of have a little uh they have a little uh uh, powwow, so to speak. And they try to get out of earshot of Hal. And, um, Hal can read their lips. And that is a creepy, creepy scene. Oh, it's, it's so like, creepy. Yeah. Just like it keeps showing the red dot that is Hal, you know, looking at them. And yeah, they didn't, they, they didn't like make go to make anything very sinister with their look, but uh, it just works so well. It's effective. Um, also, I forgot to mention that, you know, Hal claims that he's made a human error, you know, before oh. before they go and have the little conference to decide what to do. Hal has told them that he must have made a human error, you know, so they're really getting suspicious now. Yeah. And so uh, Frank, the other astronaut, goes out to uh, reinstall if I'm not mistaken, he does not get back in. No, he does not get back in. You're left wondering, did Hal 9000 kill Frank? Yeah. You can't really tell from it. They're, they're just like... I think the bigger question is how. Like, how did he do it? Like, Right, right. And that really gives you a sense of like how powerful he truly is. It's just like... He has this much control over the ship that he really was able to do anything to just just leave the guy dead. You know, it's insane. Yeah, and then uh, then Hal kills all the other astronauts. Claims it's a computer malfunction. So Dave is left with really one choice to turn off Hal. And Hal knows he's about to be shut down. Right. So you get the famous open the pod bay doors Hal scene. Yeah. He says that a long time. Well, he gets in and he gets to the server room. And this is this is one of the really eerie scenes of the movie where he's like slowly like shutting down every system for Hal. And then Hal is like the whole time saying, I can feel it. Yeah. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. And it's just like this thing has gone full self-aware. Like it yeah. is essentially become indistinguishable in terms of emotions to a human. Like, except for the fact, you know, its voice is robotic and stuff like that. But, and then eventually, yeah, Dave shuts him down. And so then, um, Dave's still on his journey. And, uh... Boy, oh boy, is he still on his journey. He, he finds out about the monolith, and it's admitting a signal that's pointing to Jupiter. And so he keeps going. And uh, then you see the planets align with the monolith. And uh, it's crazy. And all of a sudden he's pulled into this cosmic portal. <laughs> lights. And shapes and symbols. And it's just crazy. I don't know what this means. <laughs> it's just... It is insane. It's probably the best part of the movie. 
how did they do that back then? I, I mean, don't no digital, oh, you know, effects and and then no uh, CGI. Like the the one thing I'm thinking is like maybe they just had like this little treadmill or something where like they they pulled the lights back and then just yeah. like kind of looped around or something. I don't know. Yeah. I would have to That's look crazy. that up. And then uh, they wind up in this like ridiculous French house. It's not right. Like, you know, I've, I'm one to say if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But I'm telling yeah. you, this was even bad for like French design. It's, it's not right. It's very off. It's tacky. And and so and I know that's part of it. I don't I qu- can't quite understand why they I had mean, it so- it's more normal than what's about to happen. Right. Like this this is just beyond weird. <laughs> it's like one of the weirdest sequences I've ever seen. It's just it, it kind of left me baffled the first time I watched it. I was just like, okay. <laughs> it kind of left me baffled, period. You know, yeah. he begins the age and then he sees himself, you know, he's standing back, but he sees himself from the back. And then he becomes that version of himself. And then he right. sees an older version of himself, becomes that version of himself. Then he sees one on his deathbed, becomes that version of himself. And then he sees the black monolith. <laughs> in the room. In the room with him. And then we cut to the black monolith for a little bit. <laughs> and then we cut to him. And he is now a fetus. He's a fetus. And then thus spake there Thestra. He plays again. Plays. And then we see him floating in space. The fetus version of him. Yeah. Just staring at Earth as this like mythic space baby. Right. It's just as the Strauss song plays. Right. So there are 2001 reasons to like this movie, but a tight plot and an understandable plot are not one of those reasons. You're going to notice something on this podcast. We're going to talk about some like faster paced movies, but we like a lot of slow burns. So this is exactly up our alley, especially in terms of sci-fi. Like my favorite type of sci-fi is just like slow burn ethereal kind of like grounded quote unquote in reality it's not like you know alien civilizations and stuff like that it's more like dealing with technology yeah so um we both love story but we also like movies that uh story's a little hard to find like or understand like i said i've watched this many times and i I came back and said what did that mean what does this mean yeah, the more I've realized, it's not as just incomprehensible from a story standpoint as I thought. It's got a, like, even with its odd structure, it's got a very natural progression to it. And yeah. pretty much everything in the Discovery, it's just, once we get into the Stargate, that's when it just goes insane. And you're just like, I don't know what's happening. I don't have an interpretation for you for that scene. I have an interpretation for most everything else up until that point. Mm -hmm. And that's where it just like, I love it still. It's just, that's where it's more of like a mind trip 
Well, it's beautifully shot, especially the the Stargate scene. Yeah. I mean, once you get into this terribly designed French provincial house, it's not so nice looking, but uh but that's still very visually like striking. Yeah. It's definitely going for something else. Right. Well, the whole movie is visually, you know, from the African savanna, all those scenes of, you know, sunrise, sunset, just really uh, gorgeous shots with these guys in monkey suits you know planets aligning there's a lot to the visuals are just every shot in the ship every shot in the discovery is awesome right i the love that scene. i love um, that tracking shot of the jogging yeah, yeah. it's like awesome that, that is it's it's iconic um so uh the monolith <laughs> yeah Talk to me about the monolith. I have a few ideas. I want to hear yours. Though. It's a little big black box, you know. It's a rectangle. That's what. That's where it becomes a little confusing, because it is truly just like it's truly abstract in just about every way. Mm-hmm. There's not much definitive about it. My main interpretation of what the monolith is supposed to mean is something just dawned on me about the ending too. So I'll, I'll bring that up later, but I think the monolith is supposed to represent technological urges that humans have. Okay. That are maybe reaching further than, than where we should go to bring the, probably my favorite Jurassic park quote, uh, your scientists were too preoccupied about whether they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. Right. And I feel like that's the main angle they're taking. Like, I think we both agree the monolith has to do with technology. Because every time they see the monolith, something shifts in the technological landscape, you know? Yeah, I, I also thought a little bit about if there might be pulling some of the imagery from even say Genesis uh, with the not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Yeah. That, that something out there has sent this that unlocks this knowledge that they didn't have and maybe they shouldn't have. So I thought about that as well. Um, it's uh, it's hard to, it's hard to know where the monolith came from. I don't think you're supposed to know. Yeah, I don't think so either. I think it's very vague. You don't know if aliens built it. You don't know if it just came to be. It's like... It's from a deity of some sort. Yeah. Yeah, it could be from, you know, a deity. It... They don't explain it. They don't try to explain it. Figure it out. (laughs) That's their vibe. I think he definitely wanted a little bit of... uh, I, I think he set this up for people to fill in the blank, you know, yeah. he, he left lots of blanks for people to fill in and people have been filling in. I kind of love that. I kind of yeah. love that because it, you know, it gives you the freedom to interpret it in any way you want. So obviously after the second time the monolith shows up, that's when we're introduced to artificial intelligence, you know, mm-hmm. and its existence in this world. Now, the last time it shows up, hear me out on this one. This could be a reach. I'm thinking, what if he's commenting on... So one of the essential uh, human experiences 
is death. All right. True. What if he's commenting on us finally losing all of our humanity if we were to find some way to like subvert death from a uh, technological I'm, standpoint? I'm with you there. I, I think you're right on to something there. So, and the whole movie is about us like. I mean, the whole point of Hal is to show like how close to humanity he's truly becoming as we watch him more and more, listen to what he's saying and the emotion that comes from his robotic voice. Like he becomes almost indistinguishable from an actual human in terms of emotions. So really the one thing, one element of humanity that, he will not be able to experience it like truly because he was just shut down. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not really the same as death. So I'm thinking the monolith showing up at the end is supposed to comment on that. That's where we fully lose our humanity through our pursuit of technology. What do you think? I I think that's uh, that's an interesting thought. And then you see that theme kind of picked up in, in uh, other sci-fi maybe not so much movies, but you know, the thought that you could somehow freeze your body and and be brought back to life at some time, uh, you know, so uh, that kind of has been out there in some um, sci-fi circles, you know, so let's move to our AI discussion. Then I think we can wrap this. All right. So yeah, this movie kind of became very, Unlike some sci-fi, a lot of sci-fi gets a lot of things wrong. I mean, like, look at Back to the Future Part 2. Like, look at all that stuff they thought was going to happen in 2015. Like, basically, none of it happened. And this one, they were off a few years, but it's scarily accurate now, especially with AI. And I just feel like the way this movie shows how fast, once AI gets to a point that is truly like artificial intelligence. This one shows how fast that spirals, you know? And we are, we're getting to a point of AI exponentially that is just, it kind of scares me personally. Well, it's like uh, this week, the Washington Post, I'm going to read a headline for you. Chat GPT took their jobs. Now they walk dogs and fix air conditioners. Hmm. That was from... This week in the Washington Post, and then we've had other articles in the last week or so, you know, even some of the um, AI companies are are calling for greater restrictions on it because it's it can be kind of scary. I think we need to bombard the email boxes of these AI leaders, uh, send this movie to them <laughs> over and over again until they watch yeah. it. Uh Trying to think of another good one related to AI. There's so many out there, but this is one of the more like realistic ones. Right. For lack of a better, it's not like something like Age of Ultron, where it's just like, eh, robot's gonna destroy the world or something. No, it's more subtle. It's more like we are losing grasp with like what what's what's human and what's not, you know? It's Right. And so I I think it's I think it is one of the more important questions that we have right now. Um, What does it mean to be human? 
you know, yeah. for me, I mean, from a, from a, uh, a Christian standpoint, you know, I feel like to be human is to be created in God's image, you know? And so, yeah. um, but, uh, it's something we're going to be wrestling with for years. Uh, this whole, what does it mean to be human? Uh, and yeah, so I just, it's a, it's a good, it's a good movie to watch now more than ever. Yeah. It's aged like fine wine. It is just like, yeah, I think ultimately in terms of AI, there is one thing that I feel like people are thinking AI does a little better than it actually does. Yeah, I think art is something that you really can't replicate with an AI. It's because it requires that human element for it to... So, I say it can't be replicated. I more mean it can't be replicated well. It's going to feel very robotic, which makes sense because it's artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. But at least at this point... Now, granted, we could get to a point that it, it becomes kind of scary how well it can produce art. At this point, AI art is not very good. <laughs> it's like pretty much stolen, you know? Right. And so Submit you can it. argue you can argue that any type of art is stolen because of influence. It's very different. And it's yeah, AI art is drawing from stuff that other people made. And just like kind of throwing it all together, forming one little thing, you know? Yeah, I think it tries too hard. I've seen like people are uh, recording music with it, you know, and putting together music. And it, it tries too hard to get the human element. It's like you can tell that it's it's not a human by how much it, how hard it tries. Uh, one was uh, they had... Uh, chat GPT uh, rewrite "Sympathy for the Devil" by the Rolling Stones. Yeah, and it was uh, it was it was trying too hard to be human. The lyrics were strange. I mean, obviously that is a strange song anyway yeah. about human depravity. But um, that's that's what I saw in in several of these. Is it's just trying too hard to to put those human touches in that it's obvious. It's very obviously fake. It's obviously fake. And so um, so it's able to do a good job at mimicry, but imagine how art has come, you know, how far art has come in the past 20 years. You know, AI can't chart new ground. It's just going to mimic the things of the past. It may arrange them slightly different, yeah. uh, but it's going to mimic. And again, like you said, all of art has some... Mimicry, you know, like Star Wars. Star Wars from 2001, know, yeah. Yeah, they loved, uh, Lucas must have loved that scene uh, panned by the spaceship. And, you know, he added that in, you know. So there is mimicry even in human, but I'm with you. I don't think it can replace uh, what's truly great about human creation, you know, the things that we create. All right. Well, I think that's about it, really. Yeah, we can we can wrap it up by saying, um, you know, 2001 still has something to say for today. In fact, like we said, maybe more to say now than it did on its original release. Yeah. All right. So 
Thank you for listening. We're real to real. I'm Jonathan Myers. I'm Gary Myers. Thank you for listening.